Welcome to Season 1 of the Unsung Battles Podcast. I'm Ian Anderson, and I'm on a mission to understand the tactics and the truths that men use to overcome their darkest days. Just like your physical body, your mental strength needs to be trained and developed. Everyday men fight battles against personal tragedies, mental illness, addiction, suicide, injustices, and other seemingly insurmountable obstacles. By sharing the power in these stories, I believe they will fortify our minds and encourage the bond of brotherhood. Whether you're listening for yourself or in an effort to help another, men capable of winning in mental combat are needed. So let's get to work. Welcome to the Unsung Battles podcast. I'm Ian. Thank you for tuning in. You know, we're getting back some momentum, um, second week in a row. So we're going to keep driving forward, keep bringing some episodes out because there are some amazing, awesome, inspiring stories that we have recorded that need to be shared. And um, it's exciting to get the opportunity to share these with you. Before diving in, just a message that kind of comes from my heart. At the moment, um, you have an impact to make. And I know it doesn't always feel like that. And I know that that can be really difficult to see. But maybe if you don't feel like it now, take it on trust that you have an impact to make. You're needed. You're wanted. And what I love about today's story is the example of of making an impact especially hearing dev's story and hearing what he went through what he's gone through what he suffered through now seeing what that has led his life to in the way that he is impacting others in the way that he is striving to make changes to to mentor to coach um honestly this guy's this guy's attitude and desire for impact is contagious. Even just going back through and editing and and getting a chance to listen to his episode a couple of times, it's got my fire going. So I'm hopeful that from this episode, you'll feel that as well, right? That, 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 That energy, that desire to do good, that desire to make an impact will be contagious for you as well and drive you towards making that impact, whatever it may be. Um, Because ultimately, you're the one that gets to determine that, which is kind of an empowering thing, right? Like, I used to think that purpose was something that you found, you know, like you came across or discovered. And more and more, as I've gotten into some of this stuff, I'm realizing that 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 purpose, yes, you're going to discover it and it's going to resonate, but it's also a choice, right? Like you get to choose what kind of an impact you strive to make. Anyways, I won't talk too much more because we got a lot of good episode to get through and want to turn that time over to Dev. So here we go. Awesome. So today I'm excited to welcome Dev. Dev, welcome on to the podcast. It's super great to have you, man. Thanks, Ian, man. I appreciate you having me, bro. Yeah, we're going to go into some deep dive. You know, I'm super excited that you were willing to to trust me enough to come on and you know all we did was exchange a couple of instagram messages but it's crazy what kind of bond you can form over you know some some of these experiences 
Facts, man. I agree. So, hey, now I'm starting. I told you earlier, I didn't really like social media, but now I'm starting to see how powerful it, it, it really is when you use it the right way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think I think so often I always see the bad stuff and I don't always get a chance to see the good stuff. And I'm starting to see that now. And it sounds like you're having a similar experience. Matter of fact, like 100% on the same path, man. And it's uh, it's, it's it's refreshing. It's 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 it's, uh, it's a really good coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Better than I thought it would be. You know what I mean? I agree with you. I agree with you. There's there's more support out there than I would think. And it's it's definitely changing my mind about social media. Um, yeah, so uh, if you don't mind, just kind of give everybody an idea who you are, what you're up to in life, and we'll go from there. All right, sure, sure. I am, let's see, I'm 40 years old. I am a husband and a father of six. I have two dogs, one bearded dragon. <laughs> I um, I coach youth football at 12U. I uh, mentor youth males. Um, I also I advocate for men when it comes to mental health. I also advocate on the same at the same level for kids, man, because a lot of the things that I went through that were things that were childhood traumas and things that I, I my body just learned how to adapt to as I got older. And it wasn't so healthy for me, you know, as like as I got older and started really hitting getting hit with life again, you know, so it's um my entire life is a coping mechanism. I suffer from bipolar two. I was diagnosed five five years ago at the age of thirty five. Um, after having my second mental break, <laughs> so um, you know, thankfully, I you know made a promise to someone during that you know my my um, suicide attempt. It was a random conversation that I had you know during that moment that I wouldn't usually have, and the communication don't only happen that way. But after that, man, I decided, you know, I really wasn't too happy about living after that for a few years. And then I had my mental break, ended up in the hospital for about um, five days, between five or six days. I got checked out of there, ended up in a PHP program, which is partial hospitalization programs for um, something like a mental uh, rehabilitation, which was great. They need more of them. <laughs> So the um, but you know from that point on, man, I've just been trying to advocate and speak on behalf of men and kids. I have a podcast show called The Loquacious Thinkers. We're streaming now on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook Live on Mondays at eight thirty p.m. Um, outside of that, man, I um, I'm working with a partner. We're building a um a um, a psychiatric rehabilitation program for youth in Baltimore City, uh, ages eight to I think eighteen, and um. You know, I'm just I'm really excited about a lot of things to come because like I told you, man, like everything you see in here is like a huge coping mechanism for me to cope because bipolar is incurable. You know what I mean? So things that I do every day, man, allows me to allows me to kind of cope. And I've learned that, you know, dealing with this bipolar thing that I I got I can't fight it. So when I don't feel up to it, I gotta take a knee and relax for a day or two and then force myself back on the horse. <laughs> Oh, one more thing, and I'm writing, I'm writing a book. I'm the crazy one, so <laughs> hopefully it'll be out at the end of this year, man. It just gives a lot about you know the things that I went through, how I've been impacted by you know my bipolar, not knowing I was living with it for all those, those amount of years. So I saw it coming, man. Like I said, I'm using this. This I'm, I really want to rip the bandit off of this conversation of mental health, and the only way I can do that, man, is by using myself. As embarrassing and as scary as it is, I promise God I'm gonna do it. So. 
let's get it. <laughs> well, I love the the approach and the attitude you're taking because um, even just with the title of the book, like I'm the crazy one, right? Like leaning into that, you know, having some fun with such a difficult topic and the difficult experiences is pretty amazing. What, um, how did you get from such a dark place to a place of, you know, having impact and, and driving this purpose and, and helping others. It wasn't easy, man. Like that was a, that, it still is one of the hardest things I've ever had to face in my life. It's one of the scariest things. It's one of the, it's one of the most, um, what do I say? Um, it's uncertain. It's a lot of uncertainty behind it. You know, you see a lot of reminders of how bad things can get if you don't take care of it. If you don't stay on top of your mental health, you know, ultimately, the beginning of me getting better was my going into that mental break, man, and going into the hospital. And that was my only option at that point, because at the person that I had promised, I had legit promised her for legit reason, because she was dealing with the death, a suicide, a recent suicide of a close friend of hers. So, you know, it was the fact that she happened to have, be the person I was having the conversation with at that time and made me promise, man, it wasn't, it was, it was, it was, it hit me in so many ways because this is somebody I love, like somebody I love, like I'll go to war for without a question. And then she's telling me, like, she's begging me, like, please don't do it. She's crying. She's telling me that I'm going to the impact I'm going to have on my kids. And that's what I, because what I, my brain had convinced myself to believe wasn't real. It wasn't true. It's not how everybody else felt, you know, and I wouldn't be better. My kids wouldn't be better off financially with the insurance money that I would have tried to get, you know, at the time, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, when you convince yourself that people that you love are better off without you, it's like, I forgot the name of the syndrome, man, but it's like that fighter pilot syndrome that don't want to crash into the elementary school full of kids. So he crashed into a football field and take himself out and, and, and ejects, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's just, you know, you think that you, you think that you, when you get to that space, man, the power of mental illness is real because it's a chemical imbalance and the only way to fix that is by getting some type of medical help man you have to get you at the level that i was that was a pretty critical phase you know what i mean because before i had that mental break is that was four years before that was my suicide that was the first the first that my suicide attempt was five years before my diagnosis so i was in that space five years before i actually went into the hospital before my second mental break first mental break happened Man, probably, that's when I left child support and I was stressing over finances already as it was. And I was given a higher responsibility for child support, man. And that was the first time I didn't realize what it was then. But, you know, that was the first time when I went to the hospital, I realized that I had blacked out. I had drove from Annapolis, Maryland, um, from the courthouse and ended up in Baltimore City, like 55, 60 minutes away doing traffic. In, a, in a, a neighborhood that I was familiar with and didn't know how I got there. You know what I mean? The only one that woke me up was a, that kind of snapped me out of it was a Baltimore City police car sitting on the corner. So, man, your brain is so powerful. When we start playing with that stuff, it's chemical imbalance, your serotonin levels, your dopamine levels, all these things are thrown out of whack, man. Your neurons aren't firing properly. And you almost, well, you go into like a state of psychosis. And the state of psychosis wasn't a place where people think you see demons and you, are, you see shadows and things aren't really there. Yeah, that's a that that can come with it, but that's not the space that I was in for my psychosis. It, my reality was totally it, it was distorted in my mind. You know what I mean? Because I, at that point, man, when I did when I did get to the suicide point, I was I just didn't want to go anymore. And then when I promised to move on, 
I still didn't want to go anymore. I just was living for that person. You know what I mean? I wasn't even living for my kids. I wasn't living for my wife at the time. You know, it, and it was it was just a space, bro, where it was just dark. You know what I mean? And um, it's a darkness you can't describe. It's a weight that you can't describe. You know, the, my best way that I can describe it is that, man, like, that's a place where the devil plays at. You know what I mean? That's where he, he stays there waiting for you to get there. So and that's where you're looking for everything that's looking for you at that point. You know what I mean? So, you know, that process of having one mental break and having another mental break, wanting to go through with suicide. And then that promise again, even though I had gotten to an argument with that person, I could have easily said, you know, well, forget her, forget, um, forget me. There's none of this stuff is real anymore. That's how I felt. So it took a lot of the last little bit of strength I had was like, no, let me just go to the hospital. I didn't even think about it. I just knew that. Let me just go. And um, we got into the dispute, the disagreement. We were yelling at the top of our lungs. We were both saying things that we would never say to each other. And, you know, I just was like, I'm done. You know, I was living in her house at the time with my, I had the time he had five kids. You know what I'm saying? Like three of them, uh, two of them were living with me, with my wife and I at her house at the time. And it was just stressful in that space, man. Like you hear the pressure of, um, you're not bringing in money when you're in the middle of a mental break and you can't keep a job because the things aren't looking right to your employer now, man. Your reputation has now gone down the drain from being an excellent, dependable, funny employee to now they're like, oh, something's probably going on with that. Man. You know, so great guy, but, we, you know, we will stay away from him right now. And although it's not said, you feel it. You know what I mean? So in common sense, I, can, I used to be able to apply for a job, man, and get it just like that. And all of a sudden, everything just skirt. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, that path, man, was going through that that program. Um, going through that program put me in touch with a psychiatrist, as you would expect. That's in the, that's within the psych unit, the social workers and things like that. That kind of, my wife at the school, when she was in nursing school, and she did a huge part in advocating for me and making sure that my appointment, my appointments were set and make sure that social worker knew what was going on. And just, she did a great job coordinating my care, man. So it goes back to, to the, the support you need in that space. That's one reason why a lot of men take their life in this space, man, because they don't have the support. We're so relied upon that once we take a knee, people are like, huh, shoot him, he's hurt, he's down. Might as well put his lights out now. You know what I'm saying? So at least that's what it makes you feel like. But she was very supportive, you know, with her being so supportive, my family got on board. Um, you know, after the programs that I went through, I ended up, you know, developing a relationship with my therapist and keeping that relationship with my psychiatrist for some time, down with medication. Uh, I was on six different medications. Then comes the hard part, right? Because now you're realizing that, okay, now you, for me anyway, man, the type of guy that I am, I can't be in the space of sedation for long. You know what I mean? And the six type of medications that I was on, they had me sedated to the point where I, I don't understand why. It was, I, I, at that time, man, I couldn't, I didn't have a sense of reality to kind of touch back or kind of, you know, ground you again. So I was going all over the place with my thoughts. I needed something to kind of numb something. So that medication did a great job numbing the, those feelings and those overwhelming emotions that come with bipolar. And then the mania that comes with that. You know what I mean? It's like, so a lot of people joke about mania and they think that that energy is good. But yes, it is good. But, you know, when you, when you want to go to sleep and you can't, when your body is exhausted and now you're starting to... Um, you're starting to um, hallucinate, not in a way of where, you know, you see things and things like that. Like, it's just, it's probably the level of being drunk. You know what I mean? And and you know you can't function that way, but you can't let them go to sleep. It's it's a, it's like torture. You know what I mean? It's like, um, 
you you can't get overly excited because it you know for anything because it induces that same feeling that excitement is the thin line between excitement and anxiety so you're having this disorder i feel that you know so going through all that matter having this medication i feel life period i'm a very outgoing guy i laugh i joke around i talk to anybody you know so having that part um i guess uh i guess pushed down and kind of restrained for a while due to the medication I felt like I was screaming on the inside. You know what I'm saying? Like I felt like I was living on the inside of myself. I couldn't feel what love felt like. Man, I had to imagine what what it felt like when I used to be able to feel love for my kids. I had to imagine what it felt like to what I felt when I had that overwhelming sense of love for my wife. You know what I mean? Like it sucked being in that place, but realizing that you have to be in this place for some time. And throughout that, man, you know, I was going through side effects of medication. You know. Uh, my wife is five years younger than me. I was having erectile dysfunction where nothing would fix it. No pills, no no liquid, no cream, nothing. You know what I'm saying? So you can imagine the mental torture you got there. Like, man, my wife is five years younger than me. I know, like, she's human. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just different things that come with that, bro. And you, you and I'm, I'm involved, like, the coach sports. You know what I'm saying? So I wasn't involved as much with my kids like that. I was laying on the couch. So... I made a decision, man. Like, uh, I think the last time my wife and I went to Vegas and I, the last, I had kind of weaned myself off the, off all the other medications I was on the other five medications, but I was still taking the medication for my anxiety, which was clonazepam. And if anyone, it's a, it's a narcotic, right? So that means it's addictive. And, um, so what happened with that was I was, I was on that medication for three or four years and we were going to Vegas and, this also shines a light on this, uh, the restructuring healthcare we need for mental health as well, right? Because I have my, I have my prescription put in here. I was trying to, you know, go without my medication. So I go to Vegas, run out, end up having an anxiety attack. And get to Vegas, get the medication transferred from Maryland to Vegas. But the pharmacist in Vegas refused my prescription because she said it was a party town. And she didn't want to give me the clonazepam and have something be responsible for something happening to me out there. And it was like, miss, I don't care about partying right now. I'm just trying to get into a space where I can breathe. You know what I mean? So having somebody dictate, you know, how my sense of peace and my sense of calmness and my and a, and a, and a, a quick fix for me to kind of get back to a sane place, anyone that deals with knowing that there was anxiety, you know, that's, it, it's torturous, man, when it gets to that place. You know what I'm saying? Like the anxiety attacks itself make you think you're dying. They make you think you're having a heart attack. It's not a coincidence that you think you're hard at having a heart attack. You got to realize how bad that is. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, for somebody to make the decision, man, I just went ahead and um, it was tough. I had to, I went through withdrawal, like weeks of withdrawal from the clonazepam. You know, the depression was 10 times worse than I've ever had, even when I had my mental break. The anxiety was 10 times worse. And that was all the side effect of the anxiety, of the um, of the um, addiction to the clonazepam, the, um, the dependency my body had on the medication. And it was horrible, bro. So, you know, at that point, I decided I was like, man, I got to figure out another way. So I really started, you know, digging back into the things that I learned in my PHP program, going back to those folders and looking at some of the activities and coping mechanisms. <laughs> but it's funny because a lot of those coping mechanisms didn't match me. So I had to kind of tailor them to me. You know what I'm saying? It was like a it was cool where it comes from, man. And, and it, it wasn't. But it was like a lot of that stuff came from like a Caucasian perspective. You know what I'm saying? I'm from Baltimore. I'm from the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't, I can't like, you know, crocheting and coloring is not the thing for me. <laughs> so, 
you know, if breathing is not just as simple as me, or breathing through a straw and things like that, or just sitting in one place and just learning how to control your breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, you know, having ADHD and anxiety makes that hard, you know, so I have to find other ways to cope. That's why I have my dogs, which are two pit bulls, which are highly active. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why I coach football with my kids. They keep me busy. They, uh, it keeps me in tune to something that saved my life. You know, not just football, but the other sports. So, it, you know, it's it's the mentoring. When, when somebody, when I recognize that another kid is dealing with what I'm dealing with, man, it's just like it's refreshing being able to, to be there. So when I do have my low times, I can kind of preach to myself the same way I preach to the kids and the other men going through what I'm going through. Because, like I said, this bipolar thing is not curable. It's just something I learned to cope with. You know what I mean? So, you know, the hardest work came, man, after I made a decision to stop taking my medication. And um, that's when I realized, man, the hardest work is also the work that nobody else sees. Not my wife, not my mom, not my kids. It's the part of just waking up and just telling you, you know, you only got a bit that day. You haven't brushed your teeth in three days, man, wash your tail. It's in that point like, all right, no, I got to get up. It's the little things from changing those millions of negative thoughts one thought at a time to a positive thoughts once you learn how you know negative memes work in your mind you know so it's it's, it's in a place where you know it's, it's it was small but it was tedious work and it's harder because nobody else seen it so they still have that expectations of you you know but you also have to have your boundaries and understand where you are in the process you know and you know it took me years to get to a place man up until my daughter was born bro like I, up until my daughter was my two-year-old daughter two years ago so she was born my wife was was very sick you know you know going to live going to labor with her she was born i think six weeks early my wife was dealing with um pre-eclampsia severe pre-eclampsia man she was at 180 like her, her breath up like it was crazy bro it was off the charts so well, she should have been stroked out but luckily she's a nurse so she kind of knew that things were getting out of hand and she took herself into the hospital and diagnosed her, even when the doctor was trying to send her back home right so you know, thank God she had a really good OBGYN that was kind of in tune to my wife and knew she was a nerd, that knew she knew what she was doing, knew her profession, knew her background, and um, made them really pay attention. But, you know, it got to a point when my daughter was, the day she was being delivered, they, um, they, they, it just wasn't looking right, <laughs> you know, and they took her out to go do some tests or x-rays or something to, before they go into delivery. And I remember, man, like, I was in this space, bro, I was about to go down and get married. Like I was about to like flat crash, anything like you got to understand, like this woman is the woman that she kept me up. So if something happened to her, bro, like that, like that's the only person that believed me in me at one time. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm being tested with that. Now I'm being tested with my my, my baby girl, possibly born, born with medical issues and things like that. And um, man, we had a really good OBGYN named Dr. Stitt, man. And he came out and he told me he was like, um, you know, they went in and did the test. I was in the room panicking, bro. I was crying. I was breaking down. And all of a sudden, I closed my eyes, man, and I seen the, um, I seen my, a face of my cousin, man. My cousin, he, he was killed in 2009 for mistaken identity. And um, I seen his face. I don't know why, but I felt a sense of calmness after seeing his face. And I just felt like everything was going to be okay, right? Stopped crying. The doctor came in, and he was like, all right. Uh, don't worry. He gave me the, the, the statistics on African American female uh, infants that go through this thing. He was very confident I was going to pull through. He was very confident about what that was. My baby came out. My wife would be okay. He clapped his hands and said, "Let's go. Let's pray for a second. Let's go ahead and have a Jesus party." You know what I'm saying? So, you know, 
all of that together with them going through what they're going through and recovering, man, it kind of showed me that somebody's looking out for me and somebody needs me to do something, bro. Like, and I just continued to push, man. And um, I started doing the small things, um, uh, having the dogs. They're not, they're not, people don't know, recognize what they mean by ESA dogs. They ain't like having the dogs around make you feel good. Yes, it does. But knowing that something needs you to survive, knowing that if you don't hear this, it's going to destroy your house. Knowing if you don't feed this, it's going to die. When it's sick, it's going to, and you don't want that to happen to anything, another living creature. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's how it kind of keeps me, it kind of got me into a space where, all right, my kids are in this space where they probably traumatized from some of the things that I went through. You know, they probably don't know who I am before I got sick, so they're not responding to me the way that I would like them. My wife is totally traumatized because the man that she met and she married disappeared for a long time within the marriage. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden it's back. You know what I'm saying? Like, or we're saying like, I'm trying to, he's, or he's telling you he's back. No, I have bipolar. It's hard for somebody to believe that you say, no, I, I'm cool now. I'm all right now. You know, so she had those normal, you know, red flags about, you know, do I trust them? Do I give them the responsibility of doing things like paying bills? Can I trust them to do this? Can I trust them with the kids? Can I trust? So all those things were going on in her mind, man. So I had to be patient on my end and realize that, okay, although I am doing this work, I wasn't the only one traumatized throughout this process. I'm not the only one that had regrets and, you know, throughout this entire thing. And I have to make sure that she's good because she's my priority right now because, you know, I can't put her in the space that I was at because she was helping me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mentally overall. So, you know, I just continued to push despite what anybody was saying, despite the opinions of people saying, like, you know, out here, I'm looking for jobs, man, and nobody's calling me back in an economy where they're saying everybody is hiring. You know what I'm saying? So now everybody is looking down on you. You know, people are like partially looking out for you and, you know, for friends and saying, I'll get you a job and not really going through the process on our end amongst each other. You know, so dealing with the part of, they're like, well, why you didn't get a job? Like, I, I tried, I talked to the person, they told me this, but don't seem like they want to help me too much. So as a man, we're probably like, man, I don't want to beg somebody who I clearly don't want to give me something. So I'm saying all that to say, man, like when you're battling, uh, uh, something as heavy as bipolar two already, and you deal with coming the, the mind things that come with it, the thoughts, the um, the different uh, the I guess I can't when you try to anticipate what somebody else is feeling. You know what I'm saying? Like when you have bipolar disorder, your thoughts are almost always wrong. <laughs> I love what you brought up about how making it work for you, because what works for somebody else isn't necessarily going to work for the next person, right? And I think that's a really when you scroll social media, scroll these, um, you know, these different conversations around mental health, a lot of the time it's the exact same messages or the exact same coping mechanisms, but that doesn't necessarily work for everybody that's out there. And I think what you touched on was, was super insightful in that you have to find what works for you. You do, man. It's like a combination of things work for me, right? Like hiking. I love being out of nature. But I'm not listening to like opera or jazz. I'm listening to trap music walking through that, you know, like, you know, and, and standing by the water. And that's refreshing for me, you know. So, you know, it's not always trap music, but it's just my type of music, man. But when, and then so within those groups, you find ways where they tell you to like listen to the different, um, I don't know what they call it exactly, man. It's just like different patterns of sounds and things like that that kind of help you relax and calm down. That didn't work for me, man, because I'm just ready to go. <laughs> You know what I mean? But that was, if to answer your question, man, that process getting well again was the hardest part of it. That was the, that was 
one of the darkest moments through it because now you have to battle like your opinion, everyone else's opinion, and you kind of got to just have trust that something's on the other side of what you feel. You know what I mean? But then with knowing that, knowing they're constantly bringing up Kanye West, <laughs> they're constantly bringing up AB, you know, they're constantly bringing up people that are showing the negative sides of bipolar and not someone that is pretty like not laid back, but man, try to get a grip on it. Who was aware of my thoughts, even when I'm in an episode, you know what I mean? So I don't know how I'm able to do that. I just thank God I'm able to. <laughs> well, and, it, and it sounds like you've put in a ton of work to craft your life, to combat that as much as possible. Um, one of the things that we kind of talked about is it sounds like if I'm understanding correctly, you weren't diagnosed till quite later in your life. Did you, did you recognize that something was off as like growing up or? You know, what's funny about that? I, I didn't realize something was wrong, man. So I was probably in my, I, I was pursuing pharmacy school. And I was like 20, 24, 25. My third daughter was around that time, right? And I was saying that because that's the first time I actually stopped. I'm like, bro, I've been pursuing pharmacy for like four years now. All my friends are in pharmacy school. Like, what is going on? Like, and I was thinking to myself, man, I'm just like, I started looking at myself, man, in a way where I was like, how did I change? How did my thoughts towards that? How did the, the optimism change and that passion go away so quickly? And when I thought about it, it didn't go away overnight. You know, it was something that process to happen. It was, you know, getting evicted and, you know, constantly going through turmoil with the kids' moms and uh, pursuing school and working two full-time jobs, working a part-time job and going to school all within the same time, man. It's something you just aren't, it just isn't humanly possible. You know what I'm saying? So... But as a man, dog, like with society will train you, if you don't have the proper man, if you don't, if you're not groomed properly, man, if you are going to have your own assumption of life is, you would think that you can do your things. And then sometimes women will have you thinking that if you can't do it, something's wrong with you. You know what I'm saying? And, it, and it's and that and the, the funny thing is women think that that part we don't that we we don't realize that part of things. You know, that the expectations of us, you know, what with the expectations of society. So you know, it's hard, bro. And, and I think the reason, one of the main reasons I do this, man, now is because I, I do see that God has me here for a reason, man, because I've lost so many friends, man, and associates to this stuff that went through things, man, just like I did, man, when they, they took that stuff out. They weren't even diagnosed with anything, but I'm sure they had. They, some of them dealt with uh, alcoholism, you know, different type of, of addictions. And, man, they were, I know that the guilt of what their, you know, their family thought of them and their kids' mom thought of them. And when they legit was transparent and they told them they were done with something like one of my friends, man, legit told somebody that told the court that he had bipolar disorder in the child hearing custody or child hearing, uh, child support case. Right. And um, he was blasted for it on social media. You know what I mean? So for his personality, man, you would have never thought that this dude would have did this because he was so outgoing. He was so the life of the party. Man, but when I sat back and thought about some of the things that he was dealing with, I'm like, man, I, you know, I understand. And, you know, recently another, you know, associate of mine, um, he passed away from similar things, bro. Like, and it seemed like things were going up for him when he decided to make the decision, you know, to commit to suicide. So, you know, I said, I always point out that my commitment to suicide was way before my diagnosis because think about how many other men went through that. You don't know what you're feeling, man. You just know you feel something and you're just tired of being tortured by it. It's like, you don't have to go to sleep to have a nightmare anymore. You're waking up to it, you know, every single day. And it gets to a point where, you know, outside of my bipolar disorder, bro, like if you went through some of the things that I went through, man, the average person would want to take yourself out of here. 
You know what I mean? So it, it's you 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 learn me anyway throughout my life. I learned to be resilient, you know. But it got to that point, man, where I just wasn't resilient. Anymore. I didn't want to be resilient anymore. I felt like if life's gonna give you this much shit, man, or this much crap. Then you can have it, bro. I don't want to go through this for I'm 65, 70, 80 years old. You know what I mean? But you know, it, it was, you know, I guess having bipolar, you see life through a different lens. You kind of see things where you see the actual suffering, you see the pain from other people. And me being an empath, man, I carry everybody's stuff, so that doesn't help. But um, and dissect life, bro. Like if everyone, if every dude that I'm talking to, bro, has something deep going on, man. Like, and they harboring it, like, we're not talking about this stuff in the way that we should be, man, because I, and at that point, we would know that we're not alone. And I think that, and it's not, it's okay to feel like that, you know? And I take it from the perspective of, like, a kid that's raised with a dad, right? You right there, you right in your dad's space. A dad tells you, you kind of gives you the heads up of what's going to come your way. And you kind of can look at dad and see how you handle things. And you kind of take your own way and mix it to that. But if you don't know how to deal with that stuff, bro, if you've never seen somebody deal with it, you don't know how to deal with some of the things that come your way. You know what I'm saying? Like you, and 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 naturally, when you get into that space, fight or flight happens within everybody. You know what I'm saying? So your way of fighting may not be the best. You know what I'm saying? Like it may not it may, may not be the the best thing for your situation. You may not be able to fight at all, and running isn't the best at all. You know what I'm saying? So you got to learn how to work within those two spaces. That you're that's that's a physiological, you know, natural process. <laughs> What advice do you have for somebody that's that's going through a similar experience and and identifying with your story? Uh, what advice do you have for them or first steps so that they they can start to to change that direction and and get the help they need or you know move life into a different direction? The first thing I would say, man, is like you know if you're blessed enough to have somebody in your space, you know put your ego down and your brightest side and be like, hey man, I'm dealing with this, bro. Is that normal? You know anybody else dealing with it or you know, get somebody's opinion. And if you don't have anybody in that space, man, you know, your insurance now pays, you know, for you to go talk to the, a therapist, at least or a counselor, you know, so just, and then, you know, having a therapist and a counselor are dope. Me, I love having a therapist because I never was open to it before that. I didn't want anybody in my business. I didn't want nobody helping me out. I just looked at it totally different. And my therapist, man, is, she's, um, <laughs> she wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it. You know, you, you wouldn't expect her to be able to help somebody like me. You know, her name is Emily. You know, I call her M. You can tell by the name. Like, she's Caucasian, a little skinny girl, man, but she's fiery. She, like, fires off of me. So she'll be sitting there listening to stuff. And I say something crazy, and she'll just be sitting there like, yeah, I understand that. You know what I'm saying? Or, I, or I'll go and i say something like, I'll be mad. Like, I don't understand why somebody would do this. And she was like, yeah, F that. That means, you know, so then she'll bring me back to a way where and then she also talked me down out of it, right? But that relationship. You know, didn't just happen. I was blessed to have her, man, when I wasn't actually in the hospital. You know what I'm saying? And I was actually able to grow with her, go with her as she grew through her career to the point where she owns her own practice now. It was hard, bro, because finding a therapist is like dating. You know what I mean? Like, like you can't talk to everybody, man, because everybody don't like some people are just weird. <laughs> I had a guy tell me one day, man, like he was a black guy too, bro. He was like, man, like, he was like, what are you dealing with? He was like, he says, I said, uh, man, you know, I just don't like being, I don't like being depressed and I don't like being on the couch. You know, my wife goes up to work. You know, I, can't, I was just telling her everything I was doing. But this guy was like, well, man, at least you're not choosing to be in a house, you know, like every other black guy and just playing the game, playing the PlayStation and living off your wife. I was like, uh, uh, nice meeting you, sir. Uh, 
I'll talk to you later. You know, so you know, you, you gotta find it's a process of finding someone that you can actually talk to, you feel comfortable talking to. But now that I have it, bro, that is my that that's my medication now. You know what I'm saying? Like what I would tell somebody in that phase, man, and at at that age, man, is that if you're feeling if you're feeling like something is off, then something's probably off. And it may not be that bad yet. You know what I'm saying? But as you go on and life goes on and you keep, you know, the ball pack he's building on and you start to question yourself more and you start to deal with life more, you start to lose people, man. Like all this stuff, to, you start to lose people, you lose things. You, you know, you don't know. It's not easy to process. And um, that's without having a mental illness. That's just dealing with life from a space. I don't think anybody's strong enough to keep taking the loss like that. You know what I mean? But now if you look at society, man, we're constantly taking losses on a regular basis now. It's like it's becoming more frequent as a whole, you know? So, yeah, that's my rant. <laughs> you know, my, two years ago, my daughter was born. Last year, man, I got to the point where I was just like, all right, I'm getting depressed as being here. I can't, like, I still can't find a job. You know, I've been fired for jobs at this point because of the bipolar disorder. And um, because of the inconsistency that comes with the bipolar disorder, right? So um, as I was learning, people aren't so patient with you. You know, so you go through the process of having your ego challenged even further because now you got to come up to a wife and say, I just lost my job again. And you know what they're thinking. <laughs> you think of what the average person is thinking. So, you know, getting to that space, man, it, it just, you know, you, you really got to, you really got to, you got to learn yourself, bro. And I'm not talking about it a way where society talks about it. Like, man, you got to learn yourself beyond what you want to buy. You know, you got to learn yourself beyond. Uh, beyond what you want to wear you got to learn yourself behind be, you know far beyond that person that's you know a lot of people are scared of themselves you got to have that one-on-one -on -one time with yourself man and really sit and dissect yourself and compare yourself to saying this is where i am this is where i want to be and this is where i said i wanted to be this many years ago so what's going to change here you know what i'm saying so a lot of people don't have that fire man like i said that's why i think god blessed me with where i used to ask like what am i like, what's the point of going through having somebody go through all this and seeing all this, man? Like, well, it can't be a point to all this. But now I'm starting to understand, bro, like my story is way bigger than I imagined. And um, I'm talking to people from that's so that's that's from Zimbabwe, man, young cats, and they telling me, like, hey man, you had an impact on me on how I look at my things, man. Uh, a 24-year-old from Zimbabwe, man. Well, imagine what's about to happen. Like, it's just not a small thing. You know, the 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 response from the podcast, you know. When I announced the book last year, the amount of buying I got from it, bro, was totally different from what I was used to living my life in, the space I was living my life in. Now I see people support me, all because I opened my mouth, all because I said what I was dealing with. I'm not doing anything special. You know, my job, the people that love me, not, I, and I couldn't find a job for years. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's effortless for me to work now, but it's in a space that's, it's in my space. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's in a space where I know, like, okay, because I not only am I, so many people are suffering, man. I think the scariest thing of this stuff all, man, is that it's kids in elementary school starting to be successful at suicide. You know what I'm saying? So if I felt the way I felt at that time in my 30s, bro, like, what are these kids feeling, man, that got them? Like, you know what? I'm out. <laughs> You're already. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's something. Is it the music? Is it their life? Like, it's something that's coming together that they know they just like, I don't want no part of this. Or they've been tortured so bad to the point where they just want to go. And that's scary, man, because that means they're suffering in silence. They feel like they have nobody to talk to. You know what I mean? So what am I pursuing? I'm pursuing, man, more than ever peace, bro. Like when you had the type of life that I had, when you had the mental anguish and the, your brain is never quiet, man. I just want to get to a place where 
the work is not going to stop, but I can I can go somewhere and relax. And when I come back to work, the work is not work. It's something that I love to do. So I, that's where I'm at. And it's just my mission to shape my life to to where I want to live. I know what it's like to not want to live all far too well. But now I'm more curious, like, uh, if this is what it is, let's just go ahead and get it. You know, and it's time to believe in myself. One of the things that came to mind as you were um, talking about, you, what are some of the the trends that you're seeing with with kids that you're working with, and and how can people get involved or or try to help out or some of the trends, man. Like the one thing I see is within that work, but within not just working with kids, but working in the public school space, man. We need more of a male presence, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian. They need to see some. They need to see some male presence, man, because a lot of these kids, man, are you know, they they are out of control. You walk into a lot of these schools, man, and you, as a parent, you'll be appalled, you know, but we're so caught up in the workforce that naturally we don't have time to do it. But I think that the trends that I'm seeing outside of that, man, like a lot of the kids I deal with, uh, whether their father isn't around, but it's about choice, you know, whether they're in the grave, whether they're in prison, I'm saying that these boys are impacted in a huge way, bro. And it's like, you're watching something where he's just like, man, if these kids don't have anybody to guide them, man, what is that going to look like 10 to 15 years from now? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, these kids are grown, you know, and what's going to happen to their kids? And what's going to happen to their kids? And it's 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 scary, man, because, and it's, and, but at the same time, man, these kids, a lot of them are behaving the way they're behaving because they, you can't just tell them anything. You know what I mean? Like we live in a society where they tell you something, they expect you to just go with it. It's not like that anymore. These kids are smart. These kids know that what they're not being taught in school, they're not going to be able to use it in a couple of years. They come to me and tell me like, why do I have to go to school coach when I'm not even going to use any of this stuff? We're not teaching us what we need to know. They're not even teaching the truth about what's going on. Like you tell them with kids that these kids are smart. So I don't think it's that they are misbehaving. I think they're communicating to us and we're missing it by keeping things the same way. The education, education system hasn't been changed in how many years, bro? You know what I'm saying? Like, so, you know, we felt like it needed to change when we were there. So imagine how these kids feel, you know? So it's um, it's it's it's, it's a scary place to be, man, because it looks like, um, I don't know, bro. It's, it's a lot of, you got kids but trying to figure things out on their own because they don't trust the perspective of adults. Um, a lot of them don't feel respected by the adults that they're being taught by or the ones that are being raised by. You know, I have kids tell me that life got to be easy because death is hard. You know, although it's a song, even though they can relate to it at 13, bro, I don't like it. You know what I mean? So, you know, you deal with kids that, um, you know, like 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 kids that are, you know, their families are from the U.S. or so they immigrated to the U.S. and they're dealing with things not only from here, but from their country. And, and then, you know, they, you know, they're dealing with the same thing we're dealing with their dad or whatever is not around. So it's, it's just like, man, when the men start you know to fold bro that's the that's the first thing that's the first time society falling you know what i'm saying like like uh, like it, it, who's going to protect who's going to support you know who, who's going to you know who's going to get that energy bro when it's time to give it it's a male's job to step up to certain things and a lot of times to protect the family you're so divided as men man you you're not going to be able to protect you know and it's, it's, it's developing weak men and not in a space where it's you know, where I'm saying like men are weak, I'm saying in a space where the things that we buy into are making us weak, you know? So it, that, that's all, bro. But and it, and so like a, the main trend is a lot of kids don't have their dads around, man, and it's messing them up. And um, 
with that, within that, leave in mind to work two jobs and don't have time to really be home for the kids. So these kids are being raised by social media and look at what's happening now with the met the, with the metaverse, man. The metaverse is not for us. These metaverse, our kids are about to be fed to the metaverse if we don't get a good grip on it. And they're already there. Look at the amount of time your kid is sitting there with their tablet, their phone, or playing an Xbox or PlayStation. They don't even want to eat half the time. So it's not, imagine creating something now where you could put something on and get a glove on and dap somebody up and feel it while not even going anywhere. We're social creatures, bro. You take that part away, we're done. You know, we look at drugs as being the only addiction, right? When you're dealing with food, you're dealing with technology addictions, you're dealing with lifestyle addictions, man. And then, you know, and it's an addiction. You can't respond the same way. Then you addiction, but goes hand in hand with addiction and what? Mental illness. You know what I'm saying? So it's not a, you're exposing to these kids that are already, you know, predisposed to mental illnesses to something that's only going to uh, exacerbate a mental illness. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, and when you learn that, you just kind of learn to stop arguing about things in life, man. But that's another round. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one to, to bring up. You know, we've talked about a lot so far. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk through or bring up? I mean, I, I, I think the conversation is going pretty good. Wherever it goes, I'm willing to go with it, you know? <laughs> Doing a pretty good job leading it. <laughs> I'm doing what I can. One of the one of the other questions I like to ask is, you know, a lot of this stuff is it's not necessarily easy to talk about, right? Like we were kind of talking before we started recording, like it it's still hard. Like even if you've done it quite a few times, um, so why why come on and why talk about it with people? That's a scary place to be by yourself, man. Like as a man, that's a that is like even. Like it's, it's still bringing the tears to this day. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's 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 a cold, heavy place. It's um it's a lonely place. It's a confusing place to be in, man. It really takes you back. You really understand that like, that place takes you to a place, man. When you when it makes you realize that we all are still that kid inside of us. We just our bodies just grew, right? So you know that. It made me, man, I'm not scared to do anything at this point, bro. I've been at the lowest, you know, I've been in places where there's my life to where from being molested. You know what I'm saying? Like I had that anger. Like, you know, I've been with you things where you mind your business and you, you know, you walk the front and you get robbed or, you know, you get robbed or things like that, bro. So like I've been in pharmacy. I've talked to anybody. I've crashed, bro. I've, I've, I've been, I'm telling you the things that I'm ashamed of, right? There's nothing that's going to be lower than this. I can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's nothing that's going to, nothing can get me to a space lower than where I've been. You know what I'm saying? Like nothing can get me past not wanting to be here. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's past that? Nothing. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, now it's like, it's only up for me, man. And I think the thing, the challenge of that is, is like, to see how far you can go, you know? And that's where bipolar becomes a superpower, right? Because more times than not, as you can tell my energy isn't always, nah, I'm sad, I'm down, I'm depressed, bro, but I'm bipolar. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm manic depressive. After time when I'm in a good mood, it's time when I'm in a bad mood. But I have to I've learned to work through all that and having this passion, man, allows me to wake up and say, all right, I don't feel like it now, but I gotta get this done by this some point today. And at some point, man, it kicks in. <laughs> at some point. You know what I'm saying? So when it does, rather than getting mad about it, I recognize it. I know that it's gonna be there. So I use it the way that I know it's gonna be. I know I only got a certain amount of days or hours before I crash. The natural crash is going to happen. Normally, I give myself 24 hours. The furthest I go without sleep, right? But within that space, I get a lot of a lot of creativity done, a lot of things that make sense. 
Um, you know, you go in debt with business plans, you get a lot done in your books, you know, so, and then you, you give your space time to crash. So when I used to crash without a diagnosis, I used to be like, man, why do I, I had this energy now, I feel like this and I can't do anything. And now everybody's asking me to do something. I told them I'll be there, but now I naturally feel can't get out of bed because I've been up for three days. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's, it's just learning how to work. It's learning you, bro. You know what I'm saying? I go back, I can't go back to that point where it's just learning you. You're not everybody's cup of tea. You know what I'm saying? And having, Bipolar, man, it makes me have to establish boundaries with everyone, down to my wife, down to my kids, down to my mom, maybe down to myself. You know, like when you get those impulsive thoughts, you know, the impulsive feelings with bipolar, those are real. You got to kind of go, oh, yeah, I want this. But then you got to make yourself think about all the consequences behind what it is you're about to do. You know what I'm saying? So you, it's just being aware, man. That's all. If you had to condense your message down to just a couple sentences. What would it be? As far as advice or as far as whatever comes to your mind, it's all you. <laughs> That's a good one, man. Yeah. I think whatever um, comes to mind, man, be patient with yourself. Trust God through everything. Um, this is in a place where I think that we put expectations on ourselves, not just society. You know, and when you don't hit those expectations, be graceful to yourself, you know, give yourself grace, you know, and just realize, go back and give it again. Don't ever give up. Don't ever stop trying again, man, because especially if you're in a space of that dark space of depression, like there is no hope. You don't have any hope. And it, and it takes a, a while. It takes huge work for you even to find God again in that space, man. So only I can say is, you know, stick to your, you know, your must see the faith. Hold on to that. Know something on the other side of it and keep doing the internal work that you have to do that nobody's going to see. But the, the work you do in the dark, it'll always come to light. So, you know, stay focused and stay strong. <laughs> Dev, really appreciate you coming on, man. Um, I'm oh, excited yeah. to see your future. You know, and <laughs> want to hear how this book's going. I'm looking forward to reading it. No doubt, man. You know, we're going to work together some more. Man. We're going to get some stuff out there. Yeah. You know, I'm, I feel like your impact is going to be just as big, man. Like, Doing some big things, bro. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be exciting to to see some of these shifts that that we're gonna have a hand in because it's coming. You know, yeah. it has to come. Right? Yeah, I'm excited, bro. I'm excited. Man. I'm with you on that way. Thanks for having me again on the show, bro. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Unsung Battles podcast. If you found some value in this, if it resonated with you, please consider sharing it out. Um, one of the things that would help us greatly is rating or reviewing the podcast. Let us know what we're doing well. And if you have stuff that we could be doing better or ideas to improve or want to get involved, um, you can always reach out at uh, the Win Mental Combat social media pages. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of those at Win Mental Combat. Thank you again. Looking forward to future episodes and let's keep at it.